with you, Inspector. I've been on the phone to the mayor twice this morning. He went right to the ceiling over this. Did you tell him about the meeting? What meeting? The meeting right here in your office two months ago when you said high priority was run these hoods out of San Francisco. I never said they use violence. But what would you want me to do? Yell trick-or-treat at him? Come on, Harry. I expect you and every other man on this force to behave with restraint or turn in his resignation. You're on notice, Callahan. This little Wild West show of yours yesterday is exactly the kind of thing this department's no longer prepared to tolerate. Is that clear? Yes, sir. That's all, Captain. I've got work to do. But not in homicide. What? You've been transferred to personnel. To personnel? That's for assholes. I was in personnel for 10 years. Hello, and welcome to Max and Jason Watch a Movie. I'm Max. I'm Jason. And I'm Anya. And tonight we will be continuing our coverage, analysis, review of the Dirty Harry series. This one is The Enforcer, coming to us all the way back from the year of 1976. It stars, you'll be no doubt unsurprised by this, Clint Eastwood as Harry Callahan, Tyne Daly as Kate Moore, Harry Gardino returns as Lieutenant Bressler, we have a new bureaucrat villain, Bradford Dillman as Captain McKay, John Mitchum returns as DiGiorgio, and I didn't realize how much until this film John Mitchum sounds like his brother. I don't know what is wrong with their throats that causes them to sound in the way they do, but they sound almost exactly alike. DeVarin Bookwalter, <laughs> what a sad name, is the villain Bobby Maxwell. John Crawford is the mayor. Samantha Doan is Wanda. Bob Hoy is a villain called Buczynski. Trivia note, audience. This name is the actual last name of Charles Bronson, and it was added specifically because Bronson was Clint Eastwood's chief rival in the action films of the 70s. And so he put that in, he, the, the writers put that in there as a little joke. Jocelyn Jones as Mickey. M.G. Kelly as Father John. Nick Pellegrino as Martin. Albert Papua returns. This time he plays Mustafa. Rudy Ramos as Mendez. And I don't think anybody else matters in the cast. There are a few more cast members. There's somebody also who plays a guy named Lalo in the film. And that, of course, is a nod to the great composer that has been with us so far in all of the Dirty Harry films, Lalo Schifrin. And that, that villain is named after that, that person. It's directed by James Fargo, written based on characters by Harry Julian Fink and Rita M. Fink. And this screenplay was by Sterling Silifant, Fant, uh, who's a big uh, writer of the 70s and also, you know, penned a few uh, screenplays of his own. Other screenplays, The, the Killer Elite, starring the great late James Caan. Uh, had a show of his own, which had a first guest starring appearance of Bruce Lee, I believe. He was one of Bruce Lee's original students. 
And uh, that's all I got. So we're covering the Enforcer. You guys have any trivia notes? Anything you want to? Well, this was actually this was actually the first movie in the Dirty Harry series where Lalo Schifrin didn't do the music. Oh, he didn't do the music in this one. I didn't realize that. Maybe it was like a sort of in memoriam, like we miss you, Lalo. Uh, Well, but but he would come back for the next two. This is only Dirty Harry movie, not scored by Lalo Schifrin. Okay. It is in fact scored by Jerry Fielding, who um, scored The Wild Bunch and Straw Dogs by Sam Peckinpah. No, he does. Has a good impression of Lalo Schifrin in this one. Um, in style, yes. I, I, I might, I might uh, push back against substance. However, however, I do need to say this is not the first appearance of Jerry Fielding in Max and Jason Watch a Movie. He also scored, actually, in the same year, The Bad News Bears in 1976 and The Outlaw Josie Wales. Ah. So uh, at least with alum. Is this Tyne Daly's first movie? It, it's an early role for her. I actually didn't look that up to see if this was her first role. I just wondered. I just wondered um, if anybody knew. It is not her first role, but it is a very early role. This was, it looks like it was her fifth. Um, well, speaking of Tyne Daly, I guess she ended up seeing this movie and was horrified because it was much more violent than she thought it was going to be. Hmm. And, like the character that she developed was... I don't know. I guess it's just not what she thought was gonna. What she was gonna see. Audience, you may not know this, and this might not help at all. Time Daly would go on to be in another cop drama for the better part of a decade in the '80s called Cagney and Lacey, where she played it. Yes. I think in New York City. Is that where is Cagney? I think so, yeah. so this is the third installment of the Dirty Harry series, and we're moving further and further away from that eponymous first film, that iconic first film that was a great film, and we, we, we're, we're getting Harry in another adventure. Well, um, so, some back. Background, this screenplay, kind of similar to the first movie, and maybe even the second movie, is kind of a a, a, comb- a combining of two different concepts for a Dirty Harry sequel. The story of this movie is based on an attempt to kidnap the mayor of San Francisco, and it's based on a screenplay written by Gail Morgan Hickman and S.W. Schur, who were film students in San Francisco, and they, they, they wrote this screenplay, and they tried to kind of pass it around, and Warner Brothers had already asked Sterling Siliphant, who was mentioned as as the primary screenwriter, to write a new Dirty Harry movie. And he had written one about Harry having a, a female partner and having to deal with the feminism of the 70s. And it was decided to kind of merge these two concepts into this third sequel. And by the way, this was intended to be, at least, in, uh, at least unofficially, was considered to be the last Dirty Harry movie uh, that they were going to make it a trilogy while they were filming it they didn't really have a title I, they were calling it dirty harry three sterling siliphon's original working title was dirty dirty harry and more which m-o-r-e but tyne daly's character is inspector m more m-o-o-r-e um, but, road sterling on that one that's kind of a terrible title uh, it's just a working title uh, but, but, but Actually, the title of The Enforcer, they only came up with it during filming that, you know, Eastwood, because this is this is a Malpaso company production. So uh, Eastwood, once again, 
um, does carry a lot of authority in the making of this movie. And so they had to come up with a title during filming. Interestingly, Clint Eastwood intended to direct this one. Huh. Uh, he did not because he ended up, and and actually uh, longtime listeners might remember our Outlaw Josie Wales podcast in which Eastwood took over the directing the Outlaw Josie Wales, and that was not really intended. And because he was because he did the directing duty on that, he couldn't do the directing duty on this. So James Fargo was, I believe, a assistant director or second unit director on either either Magnum Force or Dirty Harry. So it's the first, but not the last time that a member of the production team was promoted to direct a Dirty Harry movie. Okay. The film opens a little differently. Well, not really, I guess. This opens on a crime, right? This opens on a, kind of an elaborate crime. The first film opened on a crime. Did the second one open on a crime? It does open on a crime. So I guess I'm wrong. It doesn't start any differently at all. It opens on the, the first crime where we meet the villains. It's not quite in San Francisco, but it's near San Francisco, wherever this, this attack happens. And it, what it looks like a UPS truck, but it's really a gas company truck, gets hijacked and stolen. Well, they pick up a, sorry, they pick up a hitchhiker. This hitchhiker standing on the road. It's a kind of a very 70s scene. Hitchhiker on the road. She lures these these uh, gas and light company people. Very old, very old men, I have to say. They're, 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 they really creep me out. This, this, uh, this whole scene creeps me out. But they decide to help this young woman who uh, invites them back to her cabin for beers. And they're both killed. Just skip right to this. They're both killed by... A radical militant group. Yes, by Bobby Maxwell, who's doing his best to try to be as as crazy and as scenery chewing as Scorpio. I, I want to ask you guys this: Does 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 Dare Deveren Bookwalter's performance work for either of you in this? I mean, a lot of the characters in the Dirty Harry movies, I've found all just kind of have this '70s guy's face, and that's just that's just him. I don't but, know. But Okay, but, okay, but wait, wait, hold on. That's a good thing, though. 70s face. That, that's good. So you like that? No. I mean, it's the same thing with the, the Charlie guy in the second movie. He was, uh, like, not memorable. Charlie McCoy? Yeah. Yeah. There's just a um, lot of characters that I, I just, like, come in and... But, but 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 for me, the thing that Deveran, I'm sorry, Bookwalter, Bobby Maxwell, is trying to do, he's trying to affect this crazy person behavior, uh, like he's almost uh, aroused by killing. When he kills the first guy who's going to have a smoke, probably sparing the man the pains of cancer in a few years. But he has this, like, ecstatic expression on his face, and I'm just like, man, you're trying too hard. And Well, I, I Max, I think the point that you're going for, because uh, actually your comparison with the sport killer from the first movie is very apt. This is one of the first, I mean, even though actually I like these early scenes that, you know, no, I, yeah. I, I actually, I like the setup. I like how you have the hitchhike, the road, and then arrogant guy who thinks he's all that pulls up in a sports car is absolutely certain that she's going to go with him. He says, you need a ride. And she says, well, not with you. And he, he's, he's genuinely shocked. Like, really? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, who do you need a ride from? And then he goes off. But what we discover is that she's looking for specific people. She's targeted these gas company people because she's got other things that she's doing. I, I actually like all of this. I, I, I like how this scene's set up. I like the payoff of it when they the gas company 
guys get killed. Well, yeah, uh, I, I, I think I, I think it all works very well. Now, what you're getting at, which is also true, is that in this first scene, which is well done, it is very clear that unlike the sequel, the previous sequel, which I hope we gave ample credit to that film for this, Magnum Force does not make any attempts to imitate the original film. Yes. The villains, the main villains in this movie, including including the first, you know, the, the, the two main guys have the same haircut, it seems, with the, the, the blonde flowing locks. And uh, and they have, you know, the kind of wild-eyed, I don't know, terrorist look or whatever. Yeah. It, it, it definitely said to me, oh, I see. You want to do the Scorpio again. We, we got to go back and we got to try to kind of pan for gold in the material of the first film. So, yeah, I mean, even though I like this scene a lot, it did it did strike me that there was some um, the sequel bugaboo of just trying to redo what's been before does rear its head here. Well, and I want to add something else here to this, because you just said it's all really well done. And it is. It's the shots are all really well composed. The, the way Mickey, the villain here is Mickey is the Patty Hearst character. Oh yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, well that's cool. the, the the shots of her scoping them out from the like they, they get a good long shot of her from inside the store. The camera sees her on the other side of the road, and she's clearly scoping people out in the. It's all really well done. And the scene where the the second. So the first gas guy gets stabbed in the back uh, in a really, it's, it's, it's quite effective. And then the second guy, though, this is a really neat scene. The guy comes out with his beer and he gets shot with a shotgun. And the effects had to be such that it blows the glass apart and it blows the, the squibs on the guy apart at the same time. It's really well done. And, and then they get the brown UPS style truck. But for me, Book Walter's portrayal of Bobby Maxwell is so over the top that yes. it throws. I'm almost like, is this? Is he having a joke? Is this? A, is this supposed to be a funny character? He throws me out of it in this scene and in a couple other scenes. He's not bad everywhere, but I don't think Book Walter is a very good actor, uh, or at least if he is a great actor, like if he's got like some Tony Award-winning Hamlet musical that he's got like a bazillion Tonys for. James Fargo wasn't able to 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 draw that performance out of him he, he might have been over the top but i i can't remember what his face looks like like i, I remember what scorpio's face looks like yes that, that's that's interesting that crazy noise he makes but I, I he just like i said he was just a just a guy with blonde hair yeah but he was always trying to do here let me get closer to the camera here so you guys can see he was always going yeah it's <laughs> like like, Calm down, Book Walter. <laughs> James Fargo should have said, no, bring it down, bring it down. But otherwise, the scene's really effective, and it's too bad that, that this DeVaron Book Walter got this role because he he, he he jams up some other... Mickey's great. The actress, uh, Jocelyn Jones, who plays Mickey, she is really good in her run in the film, as is the... I, I assume that Bobby Maxwell's brother is Lalo. They seem to be intellectually on the same page. Like, they're kind of... What we're going to find out, audience, is that these guys are seven revolutionaries and Lalo and Bobby have become kind of their de facto leaders, but they don't really believe in the cause of changing the system, right? They're just in it for mayhem and killing people. 
people is like a couple million dollars ransom, right? Oh, right, right. They're probably related. Oh, what's his name from Die Hard? Hans Gruber. But so they get the van and then we cut to establishing so- shots of San Francisco, I think, before we before we micro-focus in on, on Harry and DiGiorgio. I want to say each film has done a little less well at using San Francisco as a location. This yeah. film, this film has given us the most New York City looking San Francisco that we've got in any of the films. We get like this dirty gray skyline of San Francisco and it's like they're dry. Like if you remember how bright and sunny San Francisco was in Dirty Harry, this film is like smoggy. It's 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 almost like we're in, we're either in LA or we're in New York at the height of 70s pollution. And it's just a dingy, ugly place until you get to street level. And then it's certainly the sun's out again and they've got their, they've got their, their dirt Instagram filter off the lens and and now we're back to normal San Francisco and we're, we're following Harry and DiGiorgio on their beat and the first thing we get of them is that they kind of get a, a, a call about well they just see some they see, they see a citizen what's wrong with that citizen in dialogue that I could have imagined like right from like Dragnet or something where cops refer to everybody as citizens but there's somebody out in front of a restaurant being, no, it's, it's the first scene is the liquor store oh you're right no 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 that comes out oh. no, no I'm I have the synopsis right in front of me. No, it's it's for it's not. It, it, it's not uh, though. The synopsis is wrong. It's it's the um, they stop at an Italian restaurant. Well, I remember that scene. It comes be- just be- it comes just before the liquor just scene. before. Yeah. All right, we'll cut this out. Okay, I will. I will. Um, I won't. But. <laughs> Uh, but there's somebody having a heart attack in a restaurant and DiGiorgio pulls up beside the restaurant and her dirty hair gets out and he immediately sees somebody that he knows and he behaves in kind of the brutish brusque fashion that we've all come to know and love about dirty hair. He starts kicking the hot, the heart attack victim. Get up, get up, which is the perfect first aid response. And everybody's horrified, but the guy gets up and Harry drags him out and, and they have a little repartee, these two. And this guy, run this guy is somebody harry knows he runs a common con where he pretends to have a heart attack gets a ride to the hospital in an ambulance and doesn't pay for his dinner And one of the things I kind of like about this scene is sort of, it sort of reveals a little bit of Harry's attitude towards like low level crime. There's not really hurting a lot of people. And he's like, what are you doing, Harry? He's like, what, you got your free meal? And he's like, well, I like the ambulance ride. Get out of here. Well, he, he's, he's, um, he doesn't approve. He's kind of annoyed, but he's not going to make a big stink about this. Because I mean, I, I, that stuck out to me as well. Like you got your free meal, really? You know, you're not going to call some, you know, uh, patrolman to come and, you know, call the DA to, you know, or, or not call the DA, but have the patrolman take the guy's name yeah. so that the restaurant can sue him or, you know, something. Harry's just like, just, just get out of here. And I, I, I also like, I think the whole point of this scene was to show that Harry, there are certain crimes that he has no tolerance for and then there are certain crimes that it's not that he approves of them but he has he has more tolerance for because they're not really hurting anybody yeah and i i kind of because actually this is an odd scene i i would think even though this is a very brief movie that um this is a scene that would that in many with many editors many directors this would have ended up on the cutting room floor because it doesn't really serve any purpose. Uh, except it does character development. Except for the purpose that you're stating. Because actually, 
And Magnum Force started this in terms of trying to give us a little bit more about Harry's motivation. You know, what does make him tick? You know, what? how does he see all of these situations? In the previous film, in Magnum Force, we saw that um, he, he's interested in using lethal force when necessary, but he's not interested in, in being a vigilante. Well, here we discover that, you know, kind of penny any crimes he's not really interested in, which is why he wants to be on homicide. Yeah. Because, you know, that, you know, that's what he's interested in. He's actually, he's hyper-focused on human beings killing other human beings. Now, but, but another piece that you, you haven't mentioned, Frank DiGiorgio is a character that has been in all three films. And I think it's kind of cool that suddenly he's now Harry's partner because uh, he wasn't in the first film. And that, then in the second film, he uh, like Harry, he had been moved to stakeouts, but he was not Harry's partner even doing that. Yeah. And now he's Harry's partner. So I kind of like that continuity oh, uh, yeah. kind of the, well, you know, here's your new partner. It's this guy that you've known, you know, in all these other contexts. And I thought that was pretty cool. One of the things uh, that I like about the DiGiorgio character is that I feel like I kind of know what his character is. Like, I feel like he's a guy who is Johnny on the spot with whatever the department needs him to do. He helped out Harry after his partner gets injured in Dirty Harry. Yeah. He's on, he does stakeout when he has to do that. He's not wed to any particular department. I even suspect, based on this movie, that he'll pick up extra shifts because he's out on patrol, not doing homicide some night. And, and I wonder if it's just like, he's just out. He's just picking up shifts, which is, I, I, just, I just like the idea of this, this DiGiorgio being everywhere that anybody needs him to be. And, and as a result, eats very poorly. He does eat pretty poorly. The other thing I like about this moment is that it, it does really kind of further our understanding of Dirty Hair like he kind of smiles as the guy runs off the the dine and dasher and that's when they get the call about the robbery Ani, did you have anything to say about the scene did you like the scene did it was it helpful for you yeah i i thought that clint eastwood's delivery of just the get up get up it made me laugh <laughs> I was yeah. like, okay, I I liked him in that moment. Yeah. Yes. In the first movie, I was I was watching the movie and I was like, I don't know if I like this guy. <laughs> yeah. With the sequels, there's a lot more comedy beats and it makes I don't know. He's just like it's a little he's a little more likable in a gruff yeah. sort of way. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So, th so they get to the to the robbery and is a standoff and they they want to talk to somebody, the robbers, they want to talk to somebody, they want a car, they want this, they want to talk to a cop. So Harry volunteers to go in, we get a nice little, we get some more of that relationship between DiGiorgio and Eastwood and he's walking up to the car and DiGiorgio says, you want me to come with you? And what does Eastwood say? He says, don't need all that linguine holding me back. That's right. That's right. And, and Giorgio, he thinks that's kind of funny, actually. Yeah, you're all hard, Harry. That's a callback <laughs> to a, a line in the first movie, though. Oh, really? Yeah. Giorgio says something about a linguine and they like laugh about it in the first movie. Ah, well, there's a couple of other callbacks in this film, too. And I'll, I'll bring that up later on. So Harry goes and talks to the to the robbers. Uh, I, I'm actually kind of frightened in this scene because I just I have this uh, this 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 I they they point these guns at Harry and he's unarmed and he's kind of vulnerable and uh, 
it's a it's a harrowing scene for me just to kind of see that. Uh, and Harry's very calm as the robbers give their demands, and they want a car, and they want all the cops to back away from the area. And they're rude to Harry, of course. They say they're going to take the women as hostages, yeah. and and then uh, they 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 stop their demands, and Harry's just laying there because that's what you do. And they're like, "What are you waiting for?" And well, he was waiting for them to say he could get up, so they wouldn't shoot him. I'm sure, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then and and. Things I kind of like about this is when they're like, get out of here, run, run. And Dirty Harry, Harry Callahan doesn't run for anybody, you know, unless he, unless he wants to. running after somebody. Yeah. And he walks back across. Or or running from telephone to telephone. Yeah. Well, that, so there are limited, but he's not going to be bullied into into it by these guys. And he goes and gets in a car that I, I feel like I owned when I was in high school. It's a ginormous car uh, that reminds me very much of my Dodge Monaco, which was the first car I ever owned. And he gets in the car and, and DiGiorgio's like, what are you going to do, Harry? What do they want? They want a car. What are you going to do? Give him a car. Yeah. And Harry... <laughs> Jason, what happens next? Uh, he 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 gives it to him. He he draw he uh very dramatically drives the car down the streets, wheels the tires, and uh, drives through the window of the store, and then and then gets out of the car and kills <laughs> kills the uh, the robbers. Probably injures many of the patrons inside the place too. But I don't think he does. And then and then just as he's finished the job, his partner fires a tear gas. <laughs> the uh into the store and harry comes out you know wiping away the tear gas one of the one of the people he shoots is the last person he shoots in this in this in this action beat is easily the most i haven't winced in sympathy pain like this since misery in most films when people get shot in the butt it's a comedy beat right in this this guy gets shot in like what looks like directly in the ass and it's the most catastrophic looking injury i mean this would be this is so painful to even think about i was just like oh my god this was horrific and i i I cringed at this this piece so isn't it interesting that because he shoots that guy in the back is basically what you're saying yeah and they show that right after showing him basically just kind of admonish a guy who was faking a heart attack to get a free meal and then sending him on his way to show that for penny annie stuff harry will do nothing but for violent crime will he shoot someone in the back absolutely well the the second two movies are the studio trying to walk back harry's vigilanteism but i'm still not convinced that he's not like the punisher or something because he he kills he shoots that guy in the bag he drives them over with a car there's no due process there's just death. Well, right. well i i'm gonna defend harry a little bit here these guys have already killed somebody we already know that they killed a cop who just happened to be in front of the store and these guys are bad dudes they it doesn't that doesn't, count. Mean, that doesn't mean you can murder them i don't think that he's murdering them they still have their guns they haven't thrown down the guns nobody's surrendered and and so harry is just making sure they don't get away to cause more mayhem i can't shoot shoot a guy in the back anya is totally right i think you can in this situation because the guy still has a gun the guy's still there's no there's no indication that he's not running to cover to come back and shoot again he still has a gun he's still a danger if he gets out they've already taken hostages once that's his only option is to get more hostages or shoot back at police i think until they throw down the gun i think harry's probably justified well you know maybe but i think in harry's mind and this is the thing harry walks out of that 
store and and and, and you know he's caused all this damage in his mind the damage doesn't matter shooting the guy in the in the in the rear doesn't matter all that matters is all of these shoppers are safe yeah no and, and in his mind that's all that matters and so that's why consistently even in the first movie he's often confused now he's not now in in magnum force he was you know he he definitely saw where those police officers because what those police officers were doing was not in the heat of the moment it was it was premeditated and planned this is how harry thinks harry is these people you know innocent people are going to be harmed i can do whatever i need to do to protect those innocent people and then he is always consistently confused as to why he gets in trouble after that because he's not really interested in the law now we don't learn that in this movie but we did learn in the first one he's never heard of the so to finish that thought, sorry. Well, he's never, I mean, the original movie definitely demonstrates explicitly. He doesn't know anything about the Supreme Court decisions in the 1960s. It had to do with the rights of people who commit crimes. And he's not interested in those. Well, let, let me, let me, let me walk it back a little bit because I want to take us all the way back to the first film and the delivery of the first iconic, do you feel lucky line. If he was just intent on killing people who were bad, then he would have shot Shot that guy, but the guy, oh, the guy, did, the guy didn't have a the, the guy didn't have a gun. He was no longer a danger. He gave the guy an option to go after the gun if the guy felt like it. But not going after the gun, he's content to see the man arrested. If that guy running up the steps had thrown down the gun, Harry would have arrested him. Well, I mean, I I agree with that, but but I think that's not what I'm saying because actually, I guess what I am saying is that in the heat of the moment, in the heat of the moment, Harry will do anything. Yep. He will do anything and he will be confused as to why anybody calls him out on why he did X. Yeah. And and, and when I say confused, I mean in the context of these movies, he is genuinely confused. He does not understand why anybody questions what he's doing. So that comes up in this, in in, in almost the next scene after this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you have anything you want to add here? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. No, yeah. So the car was not a Monaco. It was a 1974 Plymouth Satellite. Oh. And then the car he drives for the rest of the movie is a 1975 Ford Torino. Oh, mm-hmm. we'll return to that in Grand the, Torino. Yeah, a couple movies down the line. Just a couple. <laughs> so in the next. Next scene, Harry is being read the damage expenses of his like fourteen thousand. Fourteen thousand. He's like, how? How's the, Why is it so expensive? <laughs> There's an itemized list, and the the captain, captain, uh, captain Jerome McKay, McKay, our our bureaucrat villain, is convinced that some of these patrons are going to sue him, and and so they have a little argument about what's going on what happened and harry takes his criticism and then he says well okay well if that's all i got things i gotta do and this asshole mckay he really is good at being in it that bradford dillman is kind of good in this role he's oh um um i, I so i want to agree with that but i want to actually uh, give a reason for why i i, I actually want to back it up so folks just just two weeks ago i watched uh escape from the planet of the apes and bradford dillman plays one of the humans who is very kind to the chimpanzees and he's he's a great kind of placeholder sympathetic human character in, in the planet of the apes series i just saw this movie two weeks ago i watched the enforcer and 
hated Captain McKay every second of this movie. And I thought, I've seen this guy before. Like, I know this guy. I've seen him probably in a hundred things. Who is this guy? Where have I seen him before? But his performance as Captain McKay is so different. He also has facial hair yeah. in, the, in this movie. But his performance as Captain McKay is so different that I did not even recognize him in a movie I saw two, three weeks ago. That's crazy. No, he's great. He he's he's annoying. He 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 spends every minute thinking about his career and hating Harry, and and that's what we want. And in this scene too, Harry Gardino, Lieutenant Bressler, basically his whole job, Lieutenant Bressler's job, seems to be to run interference for Harry and any bureaucrat he's going to be dealing with. You know, he tries to speak for Harry so Harry doesn't say anything wrong, and he's good in the role. I mean, it's a pretty thankless part, if I'm being honest, but he does he does a good job. Of of showing the appropriate oh damn it I didn't stop Harry in time face yeah. like the scene opens with uh, uh, the guy uh, McKay saying well, we can't have these kind of tactics uh, Harry anymore uh, the the Harry uh, the, McKay's worried that the minority community is upset about Harry's tactics and Harry says do you mean you mean the criminals are upset about my tactics and and that's what McKay as is meaning he's not really meaning any community he just thinks that Harry's behavior reflects poorly on the department because he's so rough on criminals well so but so uh, anya do you agree with me when i say this i think in this way in these moments this film is actually trying to redo the original film in ways that magnum force did not because actually suddenly we're we're back into that san francisco city hall doesn't want to offend anybody they're thinking about the politics harry does not think about the politics you know does this movie try to just repeat the original movie in, well, a, it, in a way that Magnum Force does not. It hits most of the same notes. Of like, the first. Yeah, there's someone that gets kidnapped and is held for ransom at the end. Yeah. There's the bureaucrats and them trying to like f- flex the image so that it, it does what they want it to do. It's the uh, Magnum Force doesn't exactly do that. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. I, I actually hadn't thought of it that clearly until you, you put it. That. I mean, I noticed the Scorpio attempt and I noticed the, the McKay attempt, but it, it, you're, you're, I think you're both right. It is absolutely hitting some of the same set pieces in terms of dramatic set pieces and action set pieces. It's ramped up a little bit because it's it's a sequel, right? But this is also another robbery foiling that Harry does, which he, I think he does in maybe all of the films. He does some kind of robbery foiling. But uh, well, well but, but hold on a second, because you know, speaking as as the as the 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 resident James Bond fan of the of the team, how did this get? How did James Bond get important? I'll tell you because you know, when you're a James Bond fan, you become very tolerant of formula. Mm-hmm. And when I watched The Enforcer, my mind started ticking off some of the some of the bits of the formula so um in the first film you have the do you feel lucky punk scene which is the foiling of the robbery in magnum force you have the foiling of the of the airplane hijacking and then in this film you have the foiling of the robbery of the liquor store so you always have this moment in all three films where harry kind of bends the rules early in the movie and when and this this scene has nothing to do with the main villain, Harry is successful and he takes shit for it. That's true. Yep. Yeah, that's okay. That, that, and, is, that is a Harry trope. And, and and spoiler folks, 
This will be true of the next film, famously. But there, there are there are some formulaic elements in these, especially in these first three Dirty Harry movies, that are kind of like, well, we got to have that. You know, we got to have this early beat where Harry takes care of something that has nothing to do with the villain, and he gets in trouble for it. And then there has to be some kind of doubt that maybe Harry won't be able to go after the villain because he's in trouble, right? Yeah, well, yeah. like, and James Bond films act that way, and I. I forgive for that. And so one of the things in watching this is I I kept asking myself, okay, we're definitely kind of painting by numbers here a, a little bit. Yeah. Is that okay? Is it well executed? And to this point, you know, I mean, um, we've all pointed out some little problems here and there, maybe some things that were just a little bit too imitative. But actually up to this point, I like all of this stuff. No, I I think it's all very well done. I, I, I know James Farr Fargo is not an experienced director. That probably has a lot to do with the Max, the shot selection stuff that you're talking about, shot setup, you know, pitching of San Francisco. Like you see moments of that through the movie, but but I like a lot of the screenplay. I I, I think a lot of it is written pretty well. I don't think it, it's so derivative that you you look at it and you're like, this is the first movie. Like, I think it's still done well enough that you can enjoy the movie. Yeah. yeah. Moving back to the film, we have this friction between McKay and Harry. And Harry is about to take his leave. He's like, oh, I've got stuff to do. And McKay waits for this moment to deliver the jab, but not homicide. Yeah. And and he does it really well. And one of the things I do like about Dillman's McCabe is he clearly despises Harry and does yes. does relish any moment he can make Harry's life more difficult. And Harry's like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah, you're gonna be you're you're, you're out of homicide for now, Harry. You'll be reporting tomorrow for uh, records and what is it? Personnel and records." Personnel. And Clint Eastwood can deliver a line sometimes better than anybody. <laughs> And at certain certain moments, he, he's really good at. And when he says, personnel, that's for assholes. <laughs> well, you know the moment he said it, in part because of Harry Gardino's thankless role as Lieutenant Brexler, you know that that's where McKay was prior to his landing this position. Because he stands up, takes off his glasses or whatever it is that he does. I was in personnel for 10 years and Harry doesn't have anything to say to that. <laughs> I think I think he, Harry for once actually looks like oh well I offended somebody. <laughs> very often but he's like oh okay <laughs> well i mean the other thing that he might also be thinking is like in his head he's probably finished the line and you've proven my point <laughs> yeah um and then we cut i think almost do we cut to a scene with the terrorists or do we go i think after that he goes to the uh, examination board yes he's late to that yeah for we, inspectors yeah and we see we see an interview happening in there right oh which by the way should be pointed out that this is part of Captain McKay's vengeance because Harry is no longer an inspector. He's now in personnel, but he is supposed to select new inspectors. Yeah. Like, they, I mean, in some ways to, to choose his own replacement. And he he's irritated. He wants nothing to do with it. He doesn't like all the bureaucratic red tape. Um, and he especially does not like that the mayor has sent a liaison to ensure that that they become more progressive with their choices. Yeah, yeah. The San Francisco PD represents the 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 population more than than it could. Oh, oh, but this is so great because the lady that's been sent by the mayor's office, she wants she wants to tangle with Harry. She does. One of the things that's kind of neat about this scene is 
is that it does seem to me that even though there's some disagreements that are legitimate between this liaison and Harry, they really do seem to enjoy fighting with each other and kind of uh, yeah, enjoy each other's company, which they like the sparring and because they kind of laugh at each other's little jibes like, to themselves, you know, without letting other people in the room know that they've got a point on one another or whatever. I, because she even starts to laugh a little bit when he uses her as his example. I kind of thought the laughing was in a like, like not in a funny way, like in a you son of a bitch, like in an angry, well, sour way. I mean, I think well, there's a bit of the angry, but I think that I think that they enjoy I think that they enjoy the fight. They enjoy getting over on one another. Um, well, but maybe, but actually, and, and and this is where we need it. Like this is the introduction of Tyne Daly as a and and, and she is from records personnel right yeah she's been she's been with the force for and and she this is what she wants she's always wanted to be in homicide she's been working very hard to get to this point and this is her moment to shine okay so you know we just set that up but time daily in this movie is fantastic uh she she she's a great character she turned i mean okay maybe when she saw the movie she didn't really think that it would look like like it did but I I think starting here, her interplay with Eastwood and, and just kind of the way that she handles herself in almost every scene, her performance is spectacular. And 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 this scene is is very enjoyable and entertaining from start to finish. But she's the big part of it. And I think that needs to be stated. Oh, I agree 100 percent So after the first guy really flubs his inspector interview, Tyne Daly comes in to for her interview for inspector. And this is one of the strengths of the movie, but I also kept wanting a little bit more from the screenplay. Uh, and I'll explain that in a minute. Harry kind of goes after her in this interview. No, but he, but, but he doesn't but, but he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to question her at all. His head's down. He doesn't want to be there. He doesn't No, no, I, I mean, this so is I, this is a moment, Harry, to him, this is a waste of time. He should not be here. He should not be doing this. He wants to just leave. He doesn't know that he's about to meet somebody that is actually going to be someone that he really respects and someone that um, ends up being very important to him. He has no idea of that. Uh, I kind of like that. I kind of like the way that Eastwood kind of plays it, uh, you know, where he actually is not in there to harass anybody. He's not in there to argue with anybody. He does not want to be there at all. And I think that Eastwood plays that very well. I think, I mean, he shows up late. Um, he, he, he may be thinking about taking the advice that he gave Charlie McCoy in the last film in that failed story arc <laughs> about retiring because he doesn't want to be an asshole in personnel and records. But he is, he does come out in part because of the goading of the, of the wonderful Dolores Umbridge character in that. The actress is Jan Stratton. Jan Stratton. She's great in this scene as well. And she, she holds her own with Clint Eastwood. Yes. And, but but her needling and their argument does bring Clint Eastwood out to kind of grill future Inspector Moore. And, you know, he starts pushing her a little bit. He asks her about her her 100 meter dash time and that gets cut off because I guess that's not allowed. You're not allowed to ask that for some reason. I don't know why that wouldn't be the case. Her time seemed pretty respectable to me. It was better than mine, but she doesn't get a say. And sometimes there's a point at which the, the interview is almost stolen by the argument that's going on between Eastwood and Jan Stratton, Jan Stratton. And then Harry says, okay, oh, let's do scenario. 
let's do a scenario. And this is where he concocts the the bestiality scenario where Jan Stratton's character has has taken a beast to do something unnatural with it. And he expects to shock Jan Stratton probably more than he cares to, to shock more. But he's, he's content to shock everybody in the room with his scenario. And when he sits down after getting a little bit of uh, heat from uh, Stratton, Tyne Daly's Inspector, future Inspector Moore cites it all chapter and verse, what the laws are being violated, what charges should be leveled. And that's the first inkling that Eastwood has some respect for her. Yeah, immediately. And, yeah, he's like, oh, well, she knows her shit. And what I would have liked to have seen, and the script doesn't give us this, but I would have liked to have seen Eastwood have given her the highest score of the judges. I think that would have been a neat touch. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I agree. I, I think that... Um... What I want and what I think the movie delivers is it's got to play out a little bit more. Like like she made an initial blow. Yes. Deny. And that's very enjoyable to watch. But there's got to be more. And and it should be pointed out because this is the way Tyne Daly plays the scene. When when Clint Eastwood, when Harry gives the, the scenario of bestiality with the uh, the lady in question, insp- uh, future inspector Kate Moore, as you say, is uh, amused in spite of herself. She is. She, she's, she's trying to hide her laughter, too. Yeah. Which to me, it's, it's very clear that she actually... She wants to get Harry's respect legitimately because she's worked very hard. Well, that's she's memorized all this shit. She's been waiting for this moment all her life. She does not need somebody from City Hall who does not know her defend her just because they, you know, they would prefer her over, you know, somebody else. And um, she she is very very amused by by Harry's kind of takedown of her. And 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 it kind of also kind of suggests that Kate's going to be able to hold her own with Harry as well. Yeah, because. You know, she respects him. She sees how he operates. But as we discover later, she's quite excited and eager to be his partner. Well, what I mean for this is that, like, in this interview, you, you get some score that you can give people. And I think for that interview, it would have been nice to have been to have found out that he actually thought she was going to be a fine inspector. No, but, you know, I that still I say no, because in even in the previous films harry is always very deceptive about how how he processes his future partners because in the first film his his original partner in the first film he 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 rides him ruthlessly but we kind of are given hints that actually harry kind of likes him and you know um he he's going to treat him very well but in the meantime he's not going to make things easy for him that's just that's how harry is I agree that it would have been cool to see Harry do something like that, but I don't think that he would have because even after they become partners and she becomes inspector, he's still kind of like fantastic. Like I like he's still very skeptical of her and her inexperience and her abilities just because she hasn't he hasn't seen any. Um, that's fair. No, I guess that's fair, guys. Um, no, well, 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 hold on, because actually, um, yes. He is skeptical, but I think the way Eastwood plays the role, it's a mixture of skepticism, but also, well, let's see what you do here. Will, will you impress me? 
And that's how he treats his partner in the first film. You know, not not really dismissive at all, but not just, uh, well, I guess uh, I have to believe in you. Harry tests people. That's what he does. You know, it's interesting, too, and this will come up later on. Harry doesn't often comfort his partners. That's no. you know, It's interesting that you bring that up because now that, that I'm kind of, you've brought that up and it's made me think, because there'll be a scene later on where Tyne Daly has some issues uh, with her stomach. No. And and at first I thought, well, I'll, I'll save it for when we get to that scene. Um, no, you've given me something to think about, guys. Anyway, so. something else that I, I don't like about Harry, though. He thinks that he's such, such shit that he gets to toy with these people that are his partners. And they all end up getting killed. It's like. Well, not, not Chico. Chico. Chico's teaching college somewhere with a class. Yeah, he guy. almost got killed. That's true. <laughs> got shot. Yeah. He, knows, well, he knows they're all going to die. Not necessarily, because actually in the first film, his partner does not die. And when his partner says he's going to quit, Harry's like, good move. You've made the right choice. It's almost like Harry, Harry believes in his, with every fiber of his being that if you're going to do this job, you've got to, you've got to be willing to go all the way. And maybe you can do that. But you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not just going to like manipulate you into doing it because Maybe you're going to come to a point where you're going to say, hey, I made a mistake. I don't want to do this. And you'll be right. So Harry wants to ascertain if the person that he's working with is really willing to go all the way because he he doesn't hate them. He doesn't dislike them. If they would rather live, his attitude would be like, I don't blame you. Go. Yeah. You know, I'm doing this and I have my reasons for doing it. You've got to figure out what your reasons are. And if you don't have those reasons, you probably should leave. Yeah. But if you have those reasons, I'm not going to stop you. And he's, not criti- he's not critical of them either. Beside you. Yeah. yeah, he's not critical of them for leaving the department either. So let's see what happens after that interview. He's off doing his thing. Bobby and- Maxwell and the, the militants. The militants, they so they, the reason why they they got this UPS style truck or this gas truck, sorry, it's not a UPS truck, it's a gas and electrical uh, company truck, is so they could go raid a National Guard armory or something like that. There's a warehouse, uh, there are a lot of arms at this warehouse, and they're going to break in. And we meet the crew as they're driving, or they basically break down the, the, the plan. And at the end of that the little plan, one of the people says, power to the people, and Lalo says jesus christ give me a break indicating to me that lalo and bobby maxwell are just totally they're totally in it for the money or for the chaos one or the other or both and they approach the gate and they they get in with a little sweet talk they sweet talk the guard who looks like stan lee's father at the time and uh, the guy's too old to be doing security i think but he lets him in without with nary a call to the gas and electric company to make sure that there really is something going on and he pays for it with his life he gets stabbed by Bobby Maxwell and and they just leave Bobby they just leave the security guard laying out there for anybody to see they drive in they leave the gate open and they're robbing everything they're getting on the bazookas and whatever else they're getting and sure enough DiGiorgio and his uh, new partner his, his partner his new partner oh that's right because DiGiorgio has to get a new partner right because still on homicide he's still on homicide and Linguini and as look Stanley Senior left the gate open God is he asleep again they drive in they find Stanley Sr. laid out bleeding to death or already dead and cops in San Francisco are very confident of their abilities uh, because they, they don't they don't call backup I don't think as often as oh, they do oh do they okay he, say, he says call backup immediately 
And but, but then he goes in by himself. Well, okay, I, I'm going to give him some credit. That's a pretty brave move, pretty ballsy, pretty tough. And pretty goes, well, I mean, maybe, but it's, it's, I guess it's his job. And he it almost works out because he gets the drop on them. And and they, I mean, they, he's getting them up against the wall. He just didn't he didn't clear every room as he was as he was making his way in. And you know, I tell you what, this scene actually shocked me a little bit. I didn't expect what happened. He's got the drop on him. The Mickey who orchestrated the kidnapping uh, or the the the, the luring in of the gas company people. She's about, she's going to try and take a shot at, 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 at Linguini, but he says, drop the gun! And he's aiming his gun at her when he gets stabbed. And you were going to say something? Oh yeah, Mickey gets shot by DiGiorgio's like new partner or something. No, no, but... it's DiGiorgio who shoots her. When he gets stabbed, he, he shoots gets stabbed, her. yeah. And, and okay. I actually, for some reason, I didn't expect that. No, I didn't either, but it was another um, like scenario where one of Harry's partners gets killed like a chump yeah but yeah I mean, I guess he does get he, he does get he gets killed. chumped but he did kill one of the people at least and yeah uh well or almost it was, it was like an accident though because he he got stabbed and he went and oh, he, but he must have he must have gone to the christopher lee school of learning how to get stabbed in the back because he doesn't scream the wind is driven out of him and he falls i don't down. think i don't think that harry's partners are chumps but they all die like chumps that's that's what i'm saying okay you know i i in this case i actually when when the giorgio decides i'm going in i i i immediately did kind of a face palm like you know okay this is a military facility you know you know on what planet do you think that you can just go in with a revolver like you don't know what's going on mm-hmm. check out go back call for backup I, I mean as i you know as i said his partner has called for backup but why do you think that you can just there's like seven of them and and you think that i mean but he does he does a great job and actually what's one of the things that's great about the scene is that i thought <laughs> Quite frankly, I thought he did better than I expected. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, he's going to get shot immediately. And then suddenly, as Max says, he's got the drop on him. Like, oh, my God, he got him. And and uh, and and then he gets stabbed. And then I think the fact that his gun goes off and kills her is supposed to be a statement against the, you know, the 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 Maxwell. The fact that that one of his followers dies and it, it, it's because of what he did and he doesn't really care about it at all. And in fact, he. Ends up killing her for real, though. Yeah, because because even though she's probably going to die, you know, uh, the followers believe that she can be saved. And rather than deal with that, he just goes ahead and finishes her off. I, I, I think... I think all of that's really good. I I actually felt that that uh, this was an effective scene. Well, I, I think it's an effective scene, but I, I also agree with Anya that it would be nice to see one of Harry's partners like go out like a real champ. But what shocked me a lot about that was like this guy who doesn't really care about the movement. Uh, Lalo, all he cares about is jazz and money, I guess. And he's like, well, "It's okay, baby. We'll get you. We'll get you." And, and his and his buddy Bobby Maxwell, maybe his brother. I get the sense that they're siblings. Come on, it's over. She's we we don't have time for this. We got to get out of here. No, we can save her. She's she's not dead. Yeah, she is. And when I was a little shocked that Bobby Maxwell just shot his his brother's girlfriend to death. Yes. 
And Lalo, they just basically kind of push Lalo out because he's in shock at that point. You know, it's like he doesn't even believe that what's happened has happened. And uh, but the guys get their their guns. But DiGiorgio isn't dead. He does. He does acquit himself. He, he sees the people. He, he he gets a description in his head. He's he's doing the he's doing the job, even though he's injured and the, on the off chance that he survives to tell somebody who can who can uh, who can write it down. Now, whatever we think about how DiGiorgio went out. His partner is a fucking moron. This this gas and uh, electric truck is barreling down on him at all of 20 miles an hour. And he's firing away at them. And the, the truck isn't moving that fast. He could have stepped aside. But instead, they plow right through him in kind of a funny effect. Yes, it, it, it's poorly edited. Yeah, this is a very poorly edited scene. It does not quite work. There's no reason that in 1976 that they could not have shot this better. That th- this part of the scene does not work at all. I I thought I I, I agree with everything that you're implying. I I think this is all kind of uh, kind of bad because um, up to this point, I actually think the two of them, despite being outgunned, have acquitted themselves very well. He called for backup. One of them in and almost collared the whole gang. It, it ended up not working out, but um, there's no reason why he shouldn't have been able to survive this and get after them. The the only thing I can imagine is that he and DiGiorgio had a secret love life together and <laughs> he could not stand living without DiGiorgio and so he just emptied his gun, throws his hands in the air and decides to, to shuffle off this mortal coil, not realizing that DiGiorgio is actually still alive and Anyway, Anya, what did you think of DiGiorgio's partner? Or do you have anything else other else that you want to add to this this scene? I don't remember DiGiorgio's partner, and I think that your take on it is very compelling. I'll probably add that several times. Uh, <laughs> so so then we, we, we cut to... Well, I did really like the scene, the next scene where they're in the hospital. Mm-hmm. DiGiorgio talking to... Talk about it then. Tell us about it. I am. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. But I really liked DiGiorgio talking to Callahan and saying, like, I saw him, like, it was this guy that we arrested a few years back and he's clearly, like, fading and, like, fading in and out and Callahan is upset as much as he can be and then there's, but he, he knows, like, he has the lead now but then there's the moment where there's, like, this look of fear on DiGiorgio's face and he says, go get Diane, I think, go yeah. get my wife. And I was like, oh, that was pretty. It was pretty rough. That was that was. That was it was bad. a good scene. It was well done. It was very well done. Yeah. And then yeah, you just see Callahan walking out. But I thought that was that was one of the most compelling scenes in the movie. Well, in addition to that, there was this neat scene where uh, where DiGiorgio asked Carrie to stay in the room, and they kind of they uh, they kind of hold each other's hands a little bit. And I thought that's. I mean, Harry doesn't give a lot. Three seconds. For three like seconds. It. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I mean, Harry's probably like uh, on the edge of his seat because he's he's on the verge of emoting in a way that isn't. I'm gonna get this guy, McKay. So I think I agree. I thought the scene was really well done. And then uh, he gets Diane and and Bressler and Harry are talking about what's what's happening. And then we see in the background we see DiGiorgio uh, uh, shuffle off his mortal coil. I don't think we see him shuffle off. Do we? I think no, we yeah, see- there's a. No, we do. 
we do. And, and this is where I'll, I'll add my two cents because I, I really agree. I agree with you both. But the reason I agree with you is John Mitchum. Is, you know, it, it, it's something that Hollywood performers have taken a long time to perfect, you know, dying convincingly. John Mitchum does it extraordinarily well. Extraordinarily. He, I, I, he is fantastic. He and Eastwood, they sell this scene. I don't like how it's directed. Okay. I, I actually, I don't like how it's directed. I don't like how his wife says, Harry, I didn't realize it was a war. Like that's, that's all kind of dumb. That's just, um, that's the dialogue trying to kind of amplify the first, the theme of the first movie that, oh, you know, there's all these villains out there and, you know, the red tape keeps us from, from fighting them. That, that was kind of dumb. I, and then I think Harry, Harry come. So the way the shot is set up, as Anya said, that, that um, he says, go get Diane, whatever name is and then harry comes out and then there's this shot of harry at the nurse's station and we see the window and we see through the window that almost like the second she gets there it's and it's like oh you know code blue whatever and i i thought that was a little melodramatic i i I actually i did not like that i almost laughed I almost laughed at that moment because before that, I thought it was all great. I, I was actually on the verge of, of tears even. And then and then suddenly we have this shot of Harry at the nurse's station. And, and I just thought, you know, to me, that's an inexperienced director thinking that he was getting a really good shot and that was going to be very affecting. But it actually ruined what his actors had done because his actors had actually done everything that that scene needed to do. And I I actually, I did not like that final kind of, I don't want to call it a payoff, but that final shot to Giorgio dies. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it's I think you're right. It's too clever by half. The scene ends when he says you need to go get Diane. And in, then, my, in my brain, that's where the scene ends. No, I think that's I think that's where yeah, it, yeah. I think, you know, I think we all do that sort of thing with with movies uh, to to to, hide, to protect ourselves from the travesties that directors sometimes heap on us. But no, and then then Harry has this information that Giorgio has given him, and he and Bressler are going to go try to chase this lead down, and <laughs> Harry's really harry will put up with the bureaucracy every once in a while when they're like well we're going to need some authorization uh when they're talking they're talking to records and personnel which is full of assholes as we know that they tell bressler well we-, we can't get that until later we need some kind of authorization and then harry gets on the phone and says i'm coming down there in five minutes you better have those files open you pencil pushing son of a bitch you, you you expect that that probably got some results, but the next cut was the the, the next scene, which is, I think this is actually pretty clever, is is McKay saying, "Well, you don't have to threaten people, Harry." <laughs> And and then then they have their little argument about uh, what well, well, Eastwood's laying down the law, and he's basically saying I'm going to go rogue if you don't put me back on homicide because uh, I'm going to get these guys who who got DiGiorgio if it's you know however I have to. And McKay perfecting that smarmy oh well you're back on homicide as of nine o'clock this morning here oh and you've got a new partner. <laughs> I, I'm kind of overdoing it a little bit. Is that the scene in the pool hall? No, that comes up later. Okay. Does it? Am I right about that? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. That comes up later. You know, this is in McKay's office. And and then, of course, here meet your new partner. In walks Tyne Daly. Do we get one of Eastwood's Marvelouses at this point? Yeah. 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 And uh, and then... They go they go see a, a law rocket 
demonstration. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for and, some reason. And well, because the, the terrorists have these rockets and they want to show them how to operate them. And, and then they go to the coroner's office and I was confused whether or not they were performing an autopsy on DiGiorgio or someone else. They were they were performing an autopsy for some reason on the security guard. On the security yeah. guard? Yeah, he was killed. Yeah. Yeah, they were like, these are indicative of special forces servicemen. Yeah, yeah. The this isn't a great scene, except except for Tyne Daly's part in it, I think. Oh, no, well, well I, I have to speak for my father-in-law, who uh, actually has performed hundreds of autopsies in his life. This is his favorite scene in any movie oh, really? ever made uh, because uh, of the the joke that the uh, the medical examiner makes when he takes when he takes the brain out and he says, "Harry, you got to see this. It says eat it, Luigi's." <laughs> okay, and is this something that he's seen done before? No, no. Medical examiners, um, because of how many bodies they've cut open, they um, they make jokes like that. Oh yeah, I'm I'm sure, I'm sure. Yeah, I I just think that some of it is is not well shot, and this this autopsy of of the of the security guard just didn't make much sense to me. I you know, like I uh, like I said, I didn't know who they were autopsying. Yeah, and uh, the scene was the, the scene was set up to create Tyne Daly's yeah. reaction and Harry's reaction and contrast the two yeah i guess the director put like a green filter over her face to like make her look nauseous did you guys notice that oh i I didn't notice that that, but i read that too i read that too they do some kind of they make her face a little green in it now prior to going into the autopsy though they see a suspicious character walking about that harry recognizes yeah and actually this is the scene like you know i've seen that guy before he's got the case with the brown suit he kind of dismisses it and i thought that was that didn't make any sense to me. To me, you know, when Harry's spidey sense goes off, he's gonna he's gonna go check it out. There's a couple things in, in these movies where like things happen and then things just keep happening, and my brain doesn't know that I'm gonna have to recall that scene to come back to it and be like, oh, this is what's happening. Gotcha. So like I don't know, it's just like like who were they autopsying and who is this guy with a briefcase and why is he blowing up wherever the hell they are? I'm like, where are they? That there's so many people and then there's a morgue i was just conv- there's just some scenes here that i i it's hard for me to follow sometimes we could have we could have used some decent establishing shots and maybe with a lower third saying where we were um, i need subtitles at all times yeah um but harry sees that he dismisses it his spider sense just didn't quite fully engage though time daily's t- taking notes she's keeping track and she she pays attention to this guy too they go in they do the autopsy she has to leave after the luigi joke a little and, yeah and they think it's really funny it's, it's not the best joke i've ever heard but harry harry says something about well you know this is this is the life welcome to it and then there's an explosion and then they're they're chasing the guy with the briefcase oh but hold on let me back up i wanted to talk a little bit sorry i don't mean to interrupt uh there you guys were talking about how harry doesn't offer sympathy and stuff to people and and how i was wanting a little bit more of harry telling her something like in this scene i would have liked to have i would have i sort of thought i might like for him to say all my first all the first partners have had 
had some kind of reaction like that, you know. But as I thought about it, after you guys were talking about how Harry is, that's just not in Harry. That's just not who he is. He doesn't do that sort of thing. All of his partners have had some kind of nausea reaction to either his banter or to some crime scene. And Tyne Daly is no different in this regard. She's a new cop. She's a new partner in Homicide. And even though I thought that might be a nice thing to say to her, that's not what Harry would say to her. Because Harry wouldn't say that to anyone. Like, you you can either put up with the job or you can't. And and so, so yeah, you guys have moved me off the dime on that. I think you guys are right about how Harry... Now, it would be nice if he did, but for the character, he shouldn't say those kinds of things to her until later in the film. You guys are absolutely right. I was I was wrong. And you were, you were saying you're going to talk about the chase, where they chase down this guy. Oh, yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting chase. Um, the guy throws his suitcase in a dumpster. Kate gets it. And then Harry's chasing him across rooftops. And then, for some reason, the guy falls through a skylight onto a porn set yeah. there's a lot of naked folks like there are in all of the movies yeah oh, some only in a 70s movie did this happen yeah yeah that's obligatory nudity for the art <laughs> yeah 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 and then they they get him and i don't remember exactly how the conversation goes but but time daily does eventually realize she's holding a bomb and her yeah. reaction to that was pretty now, now there's a scene in this where she goes around a corner and ends up going down a hill and she yells oh shit and i read a little trivia somebody had to catch her like because she was going down a hill and she was moving too fast and somebody thought she was going to take a really bad tumble and they grabbed her and so that oh shit is actually time daily not in Inspector Moore. Okay. I, I thought that. But in San Francisco, that's easy to do. Oh, I'm sure. I think that this foot chase is really good, but I want to talk a little bit about the score. In this yes. Movie. Yes. No. For me, you know, I have appreciated the Lalo Schifrin score and I appreciate a lot of the Lalo Schifrin imitation of this film. I thought this score was absolutely out of tune with the, 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 the chase. I didn't think it worked at all. I was literally about to say the same thing. Okay. Now, actually, I think it's good music. It's good music. Because actually during the chase, I was like, you know, I want to listen to this later, but not in the movie because yeah. it's, there was a lot of saxophone. It was very jazzy, but it, it lacked some of the kind of full beats of Lalo Schifrin's music from the first two movies. And it sticks out like a sore thumb in the scene. It The chase scene is great. It's well shot. It's exciting. I, I, I actually love it from start to finish. All the little beats of it. The music the music is totally inappropriate. I totally agree. The, the music. Did you notice the score here? I tend to not notice the score as much as you guys um, unless it's like it's, unless there's words and i'm like yeah. yeah if you keep hanging out with us that will change, that will change. <laughs> now for me like and lalo schifrin doesn't make these mistakes like if you think about the, the 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 fight at the end of enter the dragon that's a very that 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 part of the score it has a lot of his instrumentation but it's a dramatic yes piece and he does that too like at the end of dirty harry and i mean his score is always appropriate in magnum force it's almost as if somebody had the volume on that porn set turned up really loud you know and that was just what everybody was hearing on that on that block in san francisco right i do like it in that moment where where somebody's like in in that on that says like who are you i say like, i'm a cop and they're all like yeah they're all like oh shit yeah 
And I might I might not have been paying attention to the music as much because I was still confused about who the fuck this guy was. Oh right. And I don't know if they explain why he blew up wherever they were. No, that that's a very good point. That's a good point. I am I'm actually still not clear. Oh well, he's part of the knockoff Black Panthers, but it's just like but he's not with them anymore. But we don't know that yet. But he's in the van with the gas and electric people. He's the guy who grabbed the ammo. He that's who he is. He so what well, he tried to blow up records, right? He blew yeah. up a bathroom. Well, right. I, I mean, and that's why I, I'm 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 I think I'm agreeing with you in the moment. Like, yeah, what was he doing? Because he actually he gave Harry a lead that he otherwise would not have had, but wasn't he trying to destroy the records? It felt like just somehow for the writers or the directors to get us to the red herring of the film's Black Panther group, which is what the San Francisco PD tries to blame the like terrorist actions on. Well, there's that. For me, I just thought, now this is what I thought the rationale was, and I don't know if they ever say it, and I don't know why I thought this. I thought this was just the terrorist group demonstrating that they had the power to reach out and touch people. And well, obviously not well enough, because... No, no. Jason and I were confused. no, no. I, I I think that I'm filling in for the script, and I, I no, I I totally see where you guys are coming from. I'm just telling you what I thought was going on, and I I sort of just filled in that blank, and it didn't bother me. But I mean, I think you guys are right that blowing up a bathroom in City Hall or or a, a bathroom adjacent to City Hall isn't necessarily the best way to get your revolutionary message out. Probably, yeah. Yeah, because actually, I feel like that I I was filling in a blank by saying, well, they were trying to blow up the records, but it was a bathroom. Yeah. So- but what records also? Like, and, and I don't know, is City Hall where you perform autopsies? I don't, I don't know how San Francisco works. Ask Jason. He's 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 the San Francisco expert. Um, <laughs> Well, um, probably not. I would think not. <laughs> uh, I would say these days, most autopsies would be performed at a hospital. What about the coroner's office? That's probably right next to that bathroom. Well, well, look, I, I, I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but I can tell you that traditionally, most coroners were not physicians. Oh, right, right. They were, they were directors of funeral parlors because it is because it, it's it, it is has often been an elected position with a certain amount of authority and so the difference between a coroner and a medical examiner because the medical examiner has the same authority as the coroner but the medical examiner is a physician and the coroner is not both of them have the same role which is determine is to determine the cause of death mm. but if the medical examiner they're probably going to perform their autopsies at a hospital whereas a coroner would do it at their funeral parlor because in 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 rural counties if you were if you ran a, f- a funeral parlor and you would run for coroner because if somebody died you would go get the body bring it to your funeral parlor perform the autopsy then call the family and say well i've already got the body here do you, do you want to pay me to do the funeral? <laughs> that seems like a potential conflict of interest like uh it definitely was which is why we have moved to the medical examiner model now in 1976, had San Francisco moved to that model? I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to say that this was just a scene where they needed a lot of stuff to happen. So they put everybody in one place and I don't know where it was, but they needed yeah. everybody there. 
No, no, no. I, I think that there, there might have been some directorial artistic license taken there to put everything in one building. And so now we get a little sexism, though. For, before we get to the sexism, I want to talk about Harry doing some really good detective work. When he hears about, like, do you guys see anything? Uh, he's asking this group of scouts and their scout leader, right? And the guy says, oh, I saw somebody. And the guy was like a black guy in tan suit. And Harry says, oh, he says something like, oh, is the guy about 5'8"? No, this guy was tall. And Harry deliberately threw in a something that wasn't true to make sure that yeah. the person wasn't just kind of telling him what he thought the officer wanted to hear, you know? Yeah, I like I that. that was really clever. It was a nice bit of writing and, uh, and a nice... Still, it's still a leading question, though. So it's, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he could have gotten, like, it might not have worked if the if the guy wasn't, like, uh, firm in what he was uh, saying, you know? Like, if the guy oh. wasn't confident, right? Yeah, because it absolutely was a leading question. It absolutely was. And the fact that the guy answered differently meant that he didn't take the bait yeah. and being honest. So, I mean, it worked. I, I agree with that. I thought that was awesome. Uh, and then, and then, so Harry knows that that guy that they saw earlier that who he didn't pursue earlier blew the, blew the, blew the place up. Uh, and, but before the chase that, that they chased that guy down on, we get that moment of sexism where Tyne Daly saw the guy. Yeah. Trying to tell Harry and, and Bressler keeps telling her, Hey, would you, would you quiet down? We're trying to talk here. Like she's not a full inspector worthy of listening to, you know? And then when, when he leaves, then she tells Harry, why do you say anything? You know, almost Han Solo talking to C-3PO there. Well, sir, I was trying to. That, that, that is intended to be a comedy beat it on is. part. Bressler is being dismissive. Yeah. Um. Now, you know, see, I I defend the scene. No, I know. I it's fine. I'm not mad. No, at no, no, but, but here's here's why. Here's why. Because Bressler, even though he's kind of pro Harry, he is also at the same time trying to trying to support Captain McKay, who is very much trying to impress City Hall, and um, so it kind of shows that a little bit of the hypocrisy that you know Bressler's on board with this whole project to. Kind of elevate Inspector Moore, but when no, when the cameras aren't on, when no one's watching, he's dismissive. Yeah. He is not. And he does not stand up for her. He does not say, "Well, hold on, I want to hear what she has to say." But it is Bressler that keeps telling her to to kind of stifle. Yeah. And I think that that's an important part of the scene. So I think it's intended to be a comedy beat. Yeah. The sexism comes from Bressler, not from Harry. Yeah. And that, that leads us on the chase, right? They go on the chase. And then, and then after that, they catch the guy in a church, right? With the radical priest. Yeah, with the radical priest, probably a Jesuit. Uh, and Harry really offends the priest by the way. Uh, with the guy's like this. Uh, so he, Harry catches the guy. Oh, no. All Harry has to do is give him his name. Oh, right, right, right. The priest um, knows exactly who he is. <laughs> And the, the 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 alleged bomber is like, this guy's just rousting me. I didn't do anything. And the priest wants to see credentials. And I think the priest is hoping in that moment that the guy will escape while Harry's giving him the credentials. But Harry's Harry's a little bit ahead of him and he knocks the, the perpetrator out. And the priest is, of course, offended by this, but Harry is done running for the day. <laughs> And and he gives the guy his credentials, and that's when the priest. I don't remember what's the priest say to him. I don't remember. I don't either. He's really insulting to Harry. Something like, "You are the worst police officer in San Francisco," or something like that. Yeah. And and then they then they get the lead on who this guy. I can't remember his name. Uh, the perpetrator he used to hang out with this radical group that's sort of like the Black Panthers called Uhuru. Uhuru. Which it's, means the, the, freedom. What is it? It means freedom in Swahili. Oh, I thought they were just Star Trek fans. Maybe not. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, 
I guess I was wrong. So they go and visit the place. Huh? Where we get Albert Popwell again. Albert Popwell. And he, he's the leader of the group. Mustafa is his name. And uh, Ed, Big Ed Mustafa. Big Ed Mustafa. That's right. And of course, the group gives Harry and, and Moore a lot of trouble about being there. They're not saying that Big Ed is there. And then, but however, when Ed hears that this guy who used to run with them is been caught, he comes out and he basically starts talking to Harry and Harry follows him back. Moore has to stay out with the other Uhurans. And there's some comedy beat going on out there that's kind of funny as they kind of crowd around her and she starts citing verse, uh, you know, law and, and you, if you touch me, there will be. And that's kind of a funny scene uh, of her being a, a cop and being studious and, and Harry and and, and Mustafa go in and have a conversation that's kind of candid. But one of the things that I thought is kind of funny is Harry says to Mustafa, you look familiar. Do I know you from somewhere? And it's sort of a nod to the fact that Mustafa, uh, uh, Popwell's been in the other two films. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of a fun little nod. But Mustafa says to him, we don't, we're not into violence. We're just, we're, we'll, we'll wait until you, you white people kill yourselves off and then we're going to move in. And Harry's like, well, that's cool. Uh, who's this guy running around with? And, and Mustafa, kind of thinks he might know and he thinks he might be able to find a line on him but he wants some I think he wants something in return right he wants to get one of his people out of jail okay so Harry's like he threatens Mustafa because he's like I see you've decorated your place with a lot of stolen artifacts and Mustafa's like all right well I'll give you the information if you get my guy out of jail and so Harry is gonna stick to this yep yep given his word prior to this hasn't McKay McKay's basically tried to point Harry in the direction of these people McKay was saying that they're the suspects yeah which is it was just like i don't know like too fast for me we don't we've never met this group in the movie yet and now they're the suspects and i don't know why mckay is pushing it so hard but he is well yeah no go ahead i i i no i i would i would definitely grant that um but one of the things that i really like about this scene is that you get the sense that in continuing a theme from the heart attack scene early in the movie harry does not give a shit they've stolen these items from these hotels like this is all penny ante stuff harry has no problem with them at all no because as long as they don't kill anyone it goes uh, back to it goes back to harry doing like you do whatever the fuck you want as long as you're not hurting anybody yeah i mean i mean if, if people are not if innocent people are not suffering from what you're doing if you're not just somebody that enjoys watching people suffer then you'll probably be okay on my book yeah in this case you would have information that i need and I'm gonna bust you for you know stealing you know soap from from hotels yeah. if you don't if you don't help me out. But when he says that he's gonna help him out, Harry's pretty supportive of him. Oh yeah, I mean. And as we discover later, Mustafa has a lot of respect for Harry, for, for how Harry does things. Mustafa does not respect the uh, city hall, but, uh, and he knows Harry doesn't like him, but he, he has a certain amount of respect for what Harry does. Now he, he does try to convince him that, you know, you, you know, you don't want me. I mean, you know, that's not, you know, as you said, you know, I'm just waiting for you guys to, you know, kill yourselves off. So in the end, we discover that he actually tried. I would say it is respect, but he certainly, he trusts that Harry is, when Harry goes after somebody, it's it's for a good reason. And he does not think Harry will go after him. He does have to play chess with Harry yeah. to avoid being kind of brought in on a chump charge. But um, I think he knows that Harry's not going to treat him the way Harry treats these other people. Well, I, I, he, I think he also 
knows immediately that Harry's a kind of a person of his word, right? Yeah. And and I I don't I don't think Harry even dislikes Mustafa. I just think it's somebody he, Mustafa's into things that Harry doesn't care about, but he has information that Harry can use, and they kind of see each other in, in that way. They they live in different worlds. Uh, but I, I do get the yeah, sense that Mustafa well, likes I, him. I would go farther. I think Harry does like him. Yeah, I think he does. Yeah. Well, Harry is upset when what follows after after they've made this deal with Mustafa and he and Officer Moore leave, it's not very long after that that McKay, McKay. go ahead on you. McKay and the mayor arrested all of the Uhuru group. Yeah. And then they were like, you know, it'll be great for public images if we credit Harry and D- Inspector Moore with the arrests. Yeah. And Harry's like, what the fuck? Yeah. He's yeah. like, I was I had something going with this dude. Yeah. And and Harry knows it's not these people because all of the other suspects so far, the, the suspects of the DiGiorgio basically discovered uh, are all former they're they're Vietnam all, vets. So what? Well, one of them, the leader was a Vietnam vet. Is yeah. What Mustafa said. That's right. And Harry's also found out that at least either him or Lalo used to sort of be pimps. And Mik, Mik, uh, Mika, I think that's her name. She was a, what is it? Mickey. Mickey. She was a, a sex worker working for these guys. So, I mean, Harry even says that when, when McKay's like, oh, I think it's a, 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 obviously black militants. And Harry's like, ah, Harry, who's actually a, a decent enough cops. No, none of that, none of those names pop up. It's all, it's all prostitution and stuff like that. I can't remember what Harry says exactly. But right after he says that, McKay's like, so it's these black militants. <laughs> You know, right? Almost a, an arrested development style response. You know, uh, in, in 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 the kind of in that way he delivers it is almost uh, like that. But but they move in right away and bust all those people. And Harry's mad, as you said, Anya. I had some going. And then there's the I think maybe the dramatic, the big dramatic moment of the end of the first act. I'm guessing is this bit where the mayor tries to give them commendations, and then they both leave. Yes, they're they're trying to do it on live television. And and then Harry's like explains to more what's going on, and then they then they're both out of there. And she goes with him because you know really she she appreciates Harry's commitment to the truth, yeah, and what she wants to do as well. And so she she goes with him rather than accept this easy award, which she knows that neither not only did neither one of them do anything to deserve it, they're opposed to it. Yeah. Well, when they when they leave after Harry is suspended. And, and she runs after him. He's like, well, we can't find these guys without Mustafa. And then Moore is like, well, let's let's post their bail. Yeah, that's right. That's right. She's on board. Yeah. And th- now, now, I think this is when Harry, because Harry liked her before this. Yeah. This is the moment where he realizes that she's a really good partner. Yeah. Because he can trust her. But, but not only can he trust her, but she'll go along with all of his crazy shit. Yeah. Yeah, she'll get like you know, let, you know. Let's do this. <laughs> she's a, she's definitely a great partner for Harry, but that's a that is a that is a job that probably does deserve like combat pay or a, a bump up for risk. <laughs> But, well, but they talk about that and, and she knows about all of his partners because she's a bookworm. Yeah. Let's linger a moment on Tyne Daly. The way she emotes, the way she uses her eyes when she looks looks at Harry, the way she the way she shows disappointment when she disappoints him, frustration and embarrassment when she fails. 
admiration for him, which is more often than not. And and I kind of like how this movie comes almost right up to the edge of flirtation uh, and, 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 you know, comes right up to the edge, kind of does it a little bit and then just kind of moves on with which a lesser movie would have said, well, you know, we got to have him have a romantic moment or at least kind of demonstrate that they're falling for each other. And this movie almost comes up to that and then just a little past it and then moves on. And and I thought that that was really cool. Oh, I definitely thought that if she had made it out of this movie, it would have been one of those scenarios that uh, you came up with for Sonny and and Harry Callahan. Oh, yeah. 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 I totally agree. But I, I totally agree. I totally agree. But I but I think that it's really cool that all they did, rather than do that again, because we just saw that, mm-hmm. show show their connection, show their growing respect, and then, and then move on to the action scene. I thought for a sequel... If this was a standalone movie, maybe, maybe you write a a kind of a romance scene. But I think that it's really cool. This is a very tightly written movie. And these two actors both convey so much to us. You know, when, 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 um, so there's this little moment and it just, it stuck out to me. I actually watched it again when, uh, well, actually it's when she comes up with this idea because he had said, you know, you want to get a beer and, and then she comes up with this idea and he gets distracted and then he, you know, let's get a beer but they can't get a beer they end up getting like lemonade or something and he brings her a lemonade he says, well, well they didn't have beer and she said well i'll have and you know like you know and then she suddenly notices that he brought her a lemonade or whatever it was anyway a tea whatever it is yeah. and and then she just kind of says oh thank you sorry yeah and like she did not expect him to be that thoughtful and i thought that was just a little subtle and, and that's what this movie does between them there's just these little subtle things it it never tries it never tries to push either of them too far where they commit too much where they express too much that's not where these characters have been that's not who they are that's not the world that either one of them live in she's been she's been working in personnel which is for assholes for about 10 years and she hates it. She's dedicated every minute of her life to getting to where Harry is. And and she 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 admires him. But every minute of what she's doing is gonna be, I got yeah, I I I gotta prove myself because we've all been there. Like, you know, I know I can do this. I, you know, I, I gotta show it. I gotta show it. And I like this guy, and he likes her, but they also are two people that have these prior dedications to law enforcement. And so there's just going to be, so it's got to be subtle. And all of this is subtle. And I think it's great. And I think that their chemistry is great. I agree. I think their chemistry is great too. And the other thing too, that I, I would just add this little bit to it. Um, I don't think either of them are going to take, would ever take that next step if they're going to be partners. And I think that that is also hovering in the background because it's a dangerous job, especially if you're Harry Callahan's partner. And so but so yeah so it's 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 a tension that's there and it's so well done between the two they have an effortless chemistry and i think it works really well but it's also in this in these scenes where she starts to kind of find her footing as a as a detective i think and they, there's some hint that they bail out mustafa but harry's suspended and they're still both working the case a little bit right can't remember what happens next does anybody remember what happens next mayor gets kidnapped oh right right that's a pretty good scene it's um at a giant San Francisco Giants baseball game and at the at the now demolished Candlestick Park. What uh, happened? 
happened to the San Francisco Giants? Did they become the New York Giants? No, the New York Giants became the San Francisco Giants. The Giants are still in San Francisco. Are they really? But the Giants are baseball. The New York Giants are football. Oh. It used to be they were both New York. Okay. And the New York Giants moved to San Francisco, and that's where they've been for, what, 50 years? I don't know. Since the 70s. Well, I'm telling you. And they played at Candlestick Park, which is also where the 49ers played. And so so, so just as, as an aside, I did notice that there was the AstroTurf out there. They were, they were playing on AstroTurf, which is not what would uh, baseball would be played on today. But the Giants were a quite unremarkable team at the time. But Candlestick Park is gone. So, you know, this is uh, just a slight nod to, to San Francisco locations. Okay. Uh, so, the, so the mayor leaves. This new girl, Wanda, is um, it's the girlfriend of Maxwell, and she's on this bridge, and she's, like, telling the bridge person, lift the bridge up, and he's like, right, what? Right. And then she shoots him in the head and lifts the bridge up, and then they capture the mayor, and then they send a tape to McKay that's like, give us $5 million, and McKay's like, all right, and then... San Francisco bureaucracy rolls right over for any demand. They will pay any ransom. Then that's when McKay and Bressler go and try and find Harry to negotiate the whatchamacallit and this has reminded me so much of that that scene in the first movie where Harry's like you're giving him the money yeah right but I I did like like the scene in the pool hall because he has that when he's like leaving McKay that really funny line about the mouthwash yeah you guys can impression than I can something about like McKay your mouthwash not isn't cutting it or something yeah yeah (laughs) How, how does it go? It's so funny. Um, I don't know, but I'll, maybe I'll, I'll try and cut it in. To this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so they're basically unsuspending Harry. They're like, well, we need your help. <laughs> to deliver the money. If he has to run to phone booths, he's done this before. <laughs> He can deliver money sort of well. And so he and Tyne Daly. They meet with, he meets with Mustafa. Okay. Oh, right, 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 right. Mustafa has some information on, on what's going on, right? Yeah. And um, he's eating a hot dog again, which is funny. He's eating a hot dog the first time he meets Albert Popwell. Oh, that's right. That's right. But um, Mustafa's like, this is this is the lady. This is where she used to work. And then there's some more nudity when uh, Eastwood goes to a massage parlor. Oh right, right, right. Oh, I forgot. Find, I forgot all about this scene. Yeah. Try and find Wanda, and but she left her job and became involved with some radicals. Yes. And I guess the priest is is one of them, sort of. He seems to be affiliated with them. He's at least sympathetic. Yeah. Uh, he gets pointed in the direction of the priest from earlier and goes back to the church to find Wanda, which is when Detective Moore shows up again. Yes, yes. Well, so he's there to find Wanda. The priest is leads him into basically a trap, right? Yeah. And Wanda's sneaking up to kill Eastwood. Bang, bang. And there's a gunshot. And Wanda's head is shot by Inspector Moore. I guess I guess I'm gonna to want to highlight something here. Earlier in the film, Inspector Moore and Harry are talking about how Harry 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 Callahan is big 44 Magnum. Why do you carry that? And he's like, Well, I don't miss with it. Actually, Harry misses pretty frequently in these movies. Inspector Moore is a fucking stone cold assassin. She hasn't she doesn't miss a shot in this movie. Anytime she points her gun at somebody, she kills them. Now, so 
this might be a good moment for me to give you guys my theory. Okay. I think the title of the movie refers to her. The Enforcer? Oh. Because she knows the law. And remember the scene where she's with the Uhuru gang and they're kind of harassing her and she starts citing you know, all these statutes and the things that she can do to them. Mm -hmm. She is the enforcer of the law. Oh. And and uh, actually, Max, what you just said about her being a great, because actually, I think you can make the case, and we'll get to this in a minute, that she's the hero in the movie. Oh, absolutely. No, there's no doubt about that. So I think, I don't know why they came up with the title of The Enforcer. I, I, I couldn't find anything about that. I think it is a reference to her. I like that. She knows the law and she enforces it. Harry doesn't. Like we've established that. He doesn't know the law at all. She has this one shining moment where she is the enforcer. Yeah. Like is the hero of this movie. She has these moments in her in her career that are not kind of inspiring. They're very inspiring. I, I actually think that her character in this movie is um as an action hero is is inspiring. Uh, oh, she, oh, I think she's and and, and, and and you just described one moment of that, but we're going to get to more. Well, and one of the things I like about that is that she's not actually she's not cavalier about what she's done. That that killing somebody did upset her a little bit too. They show that. Yes, well, her, her reaction was great because she's yelling. She was going to shoot you. Check her hand. Check her hand. Is she dead? Like yeah. and she's kind of freaking out a little bit. Yeah. She's like, did I actually see what I thought I saw? Did I? Yeah. yeah. Which Harry would not have cared. <laughs> Yeah, that, but that moment, the priest didn't think Wanda was, I don't think the priest thought she had a gun. He said nobody was supposed to get killed. See, and the, okay, now that's dumb. Yeah. I act, I do not like that. I like the idea of the radical priest. Mm -hmm. I think that it's played as a caricature. Okay. Because uh, to me, the fact that he was oblivious to violence with these people, he knows these people. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good if point. He doesn't, if he doesn't know what they're doing, I, that was, to me, that was a caricature. And this this was so this is all early 70 stuff and you pointed out that this is this is the Hearst kidnapping this is radical terrorists the radical priest in the Vatican II church with the with the confession like I I, I do like that yeah but oh, no I'm supposed to get killed that's dumb that, by, that I mean, point, by that point he he should already know because there have been people killed already yeah that, that's all now look the way this scene begins with the communion like I know it's a cliche you know, where he's in, and this is not how it's done anymore, but where they're at the communion rail and he's, and then suddenly there's Harry. And then he starts just, just yelling at Harry after giving communion to these other people. And it's like, wow, this is a radical priest. He doesn't even care that his other communicants are like, wow, father so-and-so is angry. But then oh, she had a gun. Ah, this is not what I signed. No, that's dumb. That is dumb. I mean, his political commitments, absolutely. But the fact that he would be so detached from that, I that was unrealistic. That so to me, it was all a caricature. He was like Paul Simon did the song uh, "Me and Julio Down by the Schoolyard," and there's the line in the lyrics about the radical priest. And yeah, that was very much a type of character that would have been front and center mm -hmm. in big cities in the early. 70s. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. He not act realistically. If he's a radical priest, he's a radical priest. And I, I thought that was kind of dumb. I I I didn't like that. No, that's I think that's fair. And from there, the scene pretty much goes goes pretty quickly to Alcatraz, doesn't it? It does indeed. And they didn't have to get to get into Alcatraz, they didn't have to go under a strange fire breathing.
breathing furnace thing. That's uh, right. That's right. Well, but you know, I realized something while watching this movie. And for modern viewers, this is not something that is obvious. Alcatraz, after it had closed in 1963, was mostly abandoned. Not entirely that, that there were groups that used it. But Alcatraz was pretty much left alone. And um, actually, uh, I'll, I'll kind of add some trivia here. It was in 1979 when Don Siegel, who directed Dirty Harry, did Escape from Alcatraz with Clint Eastwood, which uh, is the fine film, folks. I would recommend it to you. We'll probably do it someday. And when they shot that movie in Alcatraz, that was that was part of the impetus to restore it and make it a tourist attraction. In 1976, when this movie was made, Alcatraz was not a tourist attraction. No one went there. Hmm. This, this final scene is kind of underrated as a location. We are all used to Alcatraz being visited and being and, and, and being used as a location. But in 1976, it was not. So this scene is actually kind of a big deal. And I just want to kind of preface that before we go into it. Okay. No, I think that's 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 quite fair uh, and, and good to know. Um, that's cool. I just did a little goog to see if you were right about 1960, which you were. But I didn't know that Alcatraz was... Right. What? <laughs> go ahead. Jason was right, everybody. I didn't know Alcatraz was only open for 29 years. That's yeah. That's uh, super interesting. One of the reasons was because I wondered why. It's like, because it, it really is a good location to store prisoners because you had to ship in fresh water. It was mm. pretty expensive. Oh, wow. And so it, uh, it was because of budget cuts. And, and actually, I do think that the escape that actually did occur, that the escape from Alcatraz movie depicts, probably had a bigger role in that than anyone admits even to this day. The one where they made a raft. Where they made a raft and probably escaped i think they died i think they i think they made it the mythbusters demonstrated you could do it i think they i don't know they they didn't do it at midnight when it was super cold though they did it at one in the morning when it was super cold i don't know well well but but i mean actually um i think what might be probable is that the other two might have died and wow this is really getting off track but the character clint eastwood plays in the movie was a very good swimmer and so i think it's very probable that he could have made it okay the the conditions were so cold they were they were and none of the family ever heard from those people again there is some anecdotal evidence there was a car stolen some anecdotal evidence that one or more of them might have made it but the current position of of the fbi and the federal government is that no one has ever escaped from alcatraz (laughs) so folks come to your own conclusions but but that is why Alcatraz closed. It, it was it, it was part part of it was cost because yeah. because you had to actually ship in fresh water. That's great. And, and it cost a lot of money. And they so when they closed it, that's why they did it. I didn't and, even think about that. Why do you know so much about Alcatraz? Yeah, you? that's my second question. That would be that was gonna be my question. Well, I I I drink and I know things. I I, I know many things about about uh, yeah many topics, and um, I, I'm I'm kind of interested in Alcatraz. I've read a lot about. It. Okay, cool. And, and I've been there, and and I've seen The Rock and Escape from Alcatraz and Birdman of Alcatraz and the movie that we're reviewing now, which we're gonna get returning to our Alcatraz. Uh, by this point, the the number of terrorists is pretty whittled. Uh, Time Daly's aired out Wanda. 
And so now it's just Lalo and, oh, there's one other guy. Uh, Buczynski, I think, is still on there, right? And Maxwell. Oh, yeah. And, and, and of course, Scorpion you, 2, Maxwell. When you said whittled, it, I don't my brain was like, you're saying little, but whittle. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, this is uh, actually kind of a, a much more subdued, I think, action scene than we even got, than we got in the, the climax of Magnum Force. They dispatch the bad guys, Harry, uh, Harry and, and Moore get separated. Moore saves, she, she finds the, the, uh, mayor, the mayor, thanks. And Lalo, she gets the drop on him. She, I, she, she demonstrates some really good tactics. She is well covered. She has her gun on Lalo and she says, mayor, come come over to me and she she gives Lalo every chance in the world to put his gun down and and he thinks that's just the silliest thing that he's ever heard and she airs him out right and 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 so this is all subtle she saves the mayor and so she only shoots Lalo twice and I just thought this was really clever so when they get to a a, a safe place Lalo is bleeding out uh, regretting all of his life decisions when she gets the mayor she's she talks to the mayor she's trying to calm him down a little bit but while she does it she reloads her revolver now she's only shot two so there's 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 four left in the gun but instead of wasting time trying to find those two shells that she spent, she just dumps them all into a pocket and then puts in six new rounds. And I just thought that was really clever tactically. And it's a, it's a subtle piece of filmmaking that probably not a lot of people notice, but I thought it was just brilliant. Uh, I don't know if anybody else, is there any other scenes that you guys want to highlight from this well, climax? Well, she's very nervous. But she's also, she's doing the job. Yeah. And she's also, she's trying to calm him down. Yes. Um, and so her adrenaline's going. I think, I think this is all done very well. By the way, this is shot in what I believe is the area where they kept the, the worst of the worst felons. Ah. This is where this is where Al Capone would have been kept. Okay. Okay. Um, I don't I don't think it would have been necessarily like solitary confinement, but uh, this is an area of of um, the prison that kind of uh, faces a, a series of windows, and it's the only one that I really remember because actually most of the other cells are are in this kind of main area where there's all these hallways, and and we have some scenes with that too. Um, so, but I'm just showing off that I know. Layout of Alcatraz. You, uh, you, you could escape from Alcatraz. Um. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'll, I'll. I'll say that. I'll say that. I, I wanted to point out that it's so nice of all of Harry's villains that, in the at the end of every movie, they find a nice secluded location to yes, have yes. Their, their blow up gunfight. True. Well, but they chose well. So uh, in the future, if there's ever a terrorist attack on Alcatraz, and the two of you happen to be the people that have to find somebody that knows Alcatraz. <laughs> be a seal incursion in you guys will be looking up me that's right yeah um, special operators socom all you guys jason is available the next time terrorists take over alcatraz but i'll only let him go if you can promise to be better than the seal team that infiltrated alcatraz in the rock so Harry and Inspector Moore and the mayor meet up again, but Maxwell gets the drop on them and Tyne Daly, the enforcer, again saves the day. She gets the mayor and Harry out of the way and exposes herself in the process and Scorpio 2 guns her down and gets the mayor. 
And Harry immediately runs to her. His concern really isn't for the mayor at this point. But, and this this goes again to what you were kind of saying, she's like, go get the mayor. She ha- she tells him to go get the mayor. And she says, Harry, I, I, I messed up. I screwed up. Yeah. She's thinking about the job. She is totally oblivious to how amazing she has performed up to this point. Well, yeah. Now, we're not oblivious to it. Harry's not oblivious to it. She is. Yeah. She, and this is kind of sad, but it's kind of appropriate really sad she she is the hero of this movie and yet her words to harry are why well, screwed up you know i yeah i i i messed up and 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 he talks he you know he tells her that's not the case and he's right like yeah. that's not words of comfort she's done everything up to this point and, and i i i just think that's great and i think that harry's affection for her because from here on out harry's fighting for her not even not even de giorgio he's no. for her i think yeah. you're right because what he does next, I suspect there would be some oversight issues over because it's not, I mean, he, he might even violate his rule a little bit because he chases the Maxwell and the mayor down. Maxwell is a psycho and a dumbass because he, he basically strands himself in a place that he can't really get out of very easily. He's a, he runs out of ammo for his, his M16, right? And he leaves the mayor behind and he runs to the top of this tower like, like well, there'll be somebody with wings up here, I'm sure. Now he, he conveniently leaves the mayor. Well, yes, yes, he conveniently leaves the mayor. And but even still, even still, what Harry does next is incredibly dangerous for the mayor because Harry finds one of these. What, what's, what's this here? It's one of those laws rockets. <laughs> and the the Maxwell is like looking at his gun, looking around. The scene is poorly edited. It could have been a lot tighter, and it would have made it better because there's just too much time that takes place. The act, the actor who plays Maxwell is isn't good enough to manage this time very well. Uh, everything Harry does is fine. You know, he kind of deliberately extends the the the, the bazooka and blows <laughs> Maxwell to pieces and you know this is this is this this scene will sort of be redone in uh Rambo first blood part two on your reference earlier when he blows the lone guy up with the exploding arrow who just killed his girlfriend right it's the same scene but in Vietnam and not in a secluded area of San Francisco that being Alcatraz but he blows the guy up and then it's pretty much uh, he runs back to Pine Daly but she's gone that's I think that's the scene that's the movie right well the mayor the mayor expresses gratitude and points out that he's going to give Harry all of these, you know, commendations and Harry just walks away from him and wants nothing to do with it. Actually, you know, without throwing the star away, it's actually the set, the exact same ending as the first movie. Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. I thought that too, actually. This movie was meant to be the last Dirty Harry movie. And when he goes back to Moore and he just kind of like stands there and like looks down at her, I feel like we could have ended on a more powerful image maybe for the end of this Dirty Harry trilogy. Like we've got past the skepticism we've moved to respect and like in their minds they're both attracted to each other they both like each other and all of that's cut short because she saved his life and he's just gonna stand there and look at her like he held the Giorgio's hand yeah, we like pick her up or something like walk her back to the boat I don't know it was I liked the kind of like screw you mayor but it was I don't know I I wanted more from 
that ending just like a- i i could see that i i mean i i like what we got uh even though it seems kind of um because i i think you could explain it as they had this growing relationship but it was so brief and in that moment he was thinking more about his anger at the system than about his attachment to her which is unfortunate but i think that if this movie was made today we would have what you're talking about and and it and it would have worked well i just uh, think it's, it's it's the last of the, like supposedly the last of the movies until there's like a, a decline in eastwood's career and he's like let's do dirty harry again but it's- I, oh look, I, I, that little political uh commentary there about his career <laughs> I think I think that it's good that he didn't have any weeping because we had Jason and I audience will remember they'll they'll harken back to with their memory banks to when we covered the outlaw Josie Wailed and there's a scene where he tries to cry in that and it is sort of a cinematic disaster. Well I don't so, want to cry. I just want him to no, take no. a body and take it to the boat. <laughs> but, but I think I think something he might have done though, he might have just sat down with her. Yeah. I think that would have been because he's not he's not emotional. Harry doesn't cry, he didn't cry when DeGiorgio died. And he liked he liked DiGiorgio. Uh, and I think that that's something that that, that might have been a nice image to end on because Harry is a stoic. He's read his Marcus Aurelius. He 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 knows his stuff. I, I think it's Marcus Aurelius who's the stoic. But I agree. I I, I think there could have been more with that. Uh, roll credits. Just got stand there with his hand on his hip like a disappointed mother. <laughs> That's a little harsh. And he should have at least snatched up that sweet Colt diamond back that, that she carried because those are collector's items now. I didn't make them anymore. That's going to be worth a lot of money. Uh, so that takes us to the end of the movie. The next film will be Sudden Impact, I believe. Yes. And But that leaves us still with... Let's talk a little bit about the score because I think the score works here a little bit more at the end. Only just. It didn't wow me. No, I. you might be right. The only... I found it pleasant but jarring almost the way through it was really only though that one scene that we talked about that i actually that kind of stuck out yeah here we go with the verdict audience in well you know the drill this is it's not my favorite of the sequels so far but i i really like time daily in it and i like the idea of her and of the relationship between she and eastwood but for me this is like a six or a seven on the imdb 10 star scale it it stumbles a bit in editing in score and and, and it never really delivers on the promise of some of the key relationships in the film. I think it's definitely something that you have to watch as part of the series. And, and I'll watch it again. I, I mean, I've watched it like three times already because I really do like, I, Ty and Daly is so good in this film that I, I keep wanting to go back to the film. Uh, and, and there's a lot of fun beats to it too, but it's not as good as Magnum Force and it's not as good as, of course, Dirty Harry. And so it's it's kind of a middling sequel to me, but it's not, it's not bad. It, I I'm judging it next to Magnum Force and Dirty Harry. So see it. It's a six or a seven. Mileage will probably vary. It's not as profound as the other films, but it's it's worth your time, especially if you want to kind of, if you're a completist like, like us. And that's my verdict, Jason. Yeah, you know, I, I actually, I agree with everything Max just said. I'm, I, I do confess to being a little bit conflicted though. Um, I actually, where I stand right now, I think Dirty Harry is almost a great movie. Like it's almost a 
perfect movie. And if you want to know why I don't quite completely go there, go listen to our podcast, which is available now on Apple Podcasts and uh, wherever podcasts are sold. And and Magnum Force uh, was a pretty flawless sequel. I, I like that one too, uh, and we and we covered that one. I actually think, uh, although Magnum Force had some issues, it, it did tend to be a bit long, and so therefore it tended to meander rather than having a tighter story structure. I think the Enforcer does actually uh, uh, correct some of those issues. This movie is only about an hour and a half long. This, I mean, I, I think our podcast talking about it might be longer than the film. It's a very tight film. It's a very exciting film. It has a lot of very, very good scenes. It has a lot of flaws too. And we've talked about some of those. I uh, Now, but again, some of the things it does well, it does better than Magnum Force. I actually, I prefer the liquor store robbery to the, um, the thwarted uh, airplane hijacking from Magnum Force. I respect Magnum Force for kind of, kind of delving into a more, a different theme. Whereas, you know, in Magnum Force, Harry is more of the reasonable police officer fighting against these vigilantes so it's a it, you know so it's a bit of a it's, it's a bit of a different approach than the first movie this movie the enforcer tends to be more like the kind of sequel that we're used to it just kind of repeats what the original film did you know politicians at city hall bad harry just trying to keep people safe you choose who's you know who's right and it's very obvious that harry is the one that's right but but actually i i agree with what max said tyne daly is amazing in this movie she kind of carries this movie for me in a lot of ways. I, I love her character so much. And I, I think I want to say this, despite its flaws, Max is totally right about the editing problems. The score is not as good. Technically speaking, I do think Magnum Force is better. I think the Enforcer does kind of land a little bit more for me. It, it doesn't have as good a villain. It doesn't have as good a villain. There's no doubt about that. But it, it does have a good ending. And Tyne Daly's character does provide something new, kind of a new dynamic that even Dirty Harry doesn't give us. And I just, I really appreciated that. And so it's it's very, very close. I think both Magnum Force and The Enforcer are actually very good sequels at a time, and this should be pointed out, at a time where sequels were not widely accepted uh, and not even necessarily widely made at this time. So I, I actually give both of the films very high marks, but I like The Enforcer. I would I would give it a strong recommendation, mainly based on the chemistry between Clint Eastwood and Time Daly, and a, a lot of the flaws of the film do kind of do kind of fall away for me. It, it, it's tight, it, it's entertaining, and it's exciting, and so. For me, it, it, it gets a solid recommendation. Okay. I would say that after Dirty Harry, the movies got progressively less and less cohesive. There were, in both of the sequels, there are some awesome scenes that are really interested, interesting. And then there's some really great character-driven storylines in this one and the second one. But I, they're just not as strong for me as the original Dirty Harry which sucks because there's a lot of character development for Dirty Harry that I like a lot in the, in the sequels, but it just doesn't, the, whole, the movie as a whole doesn't work for me because there's there's like 
a lot of characters that I'm, I don't know exactly why they're there. And there's a lot of characters that are a lot less memorable in the second two movies than there was in the first movie. So it was, I still enjoyed watching it, but it wasn't like the first movie where I knew what was going on. I was kind of, was kind of confused at moments, but I do agree with what Jason and Max, my father said. <laughs> And uh, Tyne Daly was awesome. Her chemistry with Clint Eastwood was awesome. And I don't, I don't know. I liked the movie, but I want more from it, I guess. Fair. That's, it, it's, it's, like, it, it's like teasing me with something that could have been great, but wasn't quite great. That's my verdict. And that's the verdict, folks. Next week, we will be covering Sudden Impact, which is 1980 or 81. I can't remember. I'm looking uh, at the Bobby cards for that movie and he aged a lot <laughs> yes yes from, from uh, what is it 78 to 86 well this was this this is 76 76 to 80 something 1982 I think. that's what hold on here, guys a lot um let's see here suddenly We'll probably cut some of this out, audience. December 9th, um, 1983. That's like like uh, Harrison Ford looked 40 until he looked 72. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's true. Just like um, a Clint Eastwood story as well. <laughs> looked 40 until he looked 70. So, audience, Sudden Impact is what we're doing next. And share us with all your friends. Share us on the social medias. If you subscribe, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, do subscribe and like. Uh, give us a five-star review. It helps people find the show. You can follow our Instagram page at Anya what's the Instagram page called Max Jason watch a movie and I can be found at the separate test on Twitter so Anya where can people find you my Instagram is on solo like Han Solo that's where you can find me and my art excellent and audience that's what we'll see you next week bye bye goodbye no one can do an impersonation of Scatman Crothers it was it was it was not really fully voluntary but I did watch the the it miniseries from 1990 again that's still pretty good i think i've watched it a couple times over the years his performance as pennywise uh still impresses to this day strange that something so small should cause so much fear and doubt <laughs> i mean i probably read it when i was too young too i read it in eighth grade and then again, I think in ninth grade. <laughs> I was so mad about the way Mike Hanlon is treated in the new It film. I, I was, I was, that offended me more than most other bits of the film. So I really like Dr. Sleep and I want to read the book, but the movie made me queasy. And I feel like Stephen King's knack for going into gruesome detail about a lot of things. I don't know if I, if I, can stomach the book where it was like after the 80s generation people started caring about where their kids were we'll cut this out <laughs>